Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, July 23rd, 2023, from the book of Ecclesiastes. For these last weeks of the summer, we are turning our attention to a little book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. If you missed last week, Ecclesiastes is, that's a big, long Greek word, and what it means is a gathering, an assembly. Okay, it's like a TED Talk. Somebody is going to stand up front in this book as you open it to read it and tell you some things, give you some wisdom about how to live a skillful life. This is the original TED Talk of TED Talks. It's this old man at the end of his life, whether it was Solomon or whether it was somebody who kind of gathered a lot of Solomon's journals and stats and stuff like that and then and put this together for us. It's this old man at the end of his life saying, I did it all, I've been there, done that, I've learned the hard way, and I want to give you the cheat code to living a skillful, beautiful life. That's what Ecclesiastes is. Now, the problem is, is that there is a big, fat question in your face as soon as you realize that's what's going on. If somebody's going to say, you, this is, I'm going to give you all my wisdom at the end of my life so you can skip all the mistakes I made and you can live a skillful and beautiful life. The big, fat question underneath all of that is, well, what matters in life? Like, what matters and what doesn't matter? And the teacher is going to break down a lot of stuff for us on that. Now, as far as we're concerned, if you want to know, like, what do people think matters? Like, what, what is it that we think matters in this world? It's real easy. You just look around you, and you can find out real quick what human beings think matters. You know what it is? We love a winner. That's what we think matters. Winning uh, having a lot, doing the best, getting there first, doing the most, going the farthest, being the shiniest, being the prettiest, being the skinniest, being the richest. We love whoever is on top, whoever is breaking records, winning awards, who is the goat, right? That's what we love. I happen to be, um, I happen to be in a barbershop the day after LeBron James broke uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's like, scoring record in all time in the NBA. And man, it was so fun to hear these people fight it out because all the young dudes, they're LeBron fans, right? And all the old dudes are like, you don't even know, you didn't even see Kareem, don't even talk to me about Bron. And, and one of the really great points of contention was they were like, look, LeBron might be good, okay? But uh, they changed the rules after Kareem was done playing. They added that three-pointer. So you just need to go back over all of Kareem's points and add some more in there and let Bron catch up with that. And I was like, that's a really good point. But we love these kinds of arguments. We love who's going to win the award and who's going to break the record. That's the stuff, the best, the most, the farthest, the first. That's what people think matters here. The most famous, the prettiest, the richest. We love these people, even though we have so much evidence that the richest and most famous and the whatever, the prettiest people, these are the most screwed up human beings on this planet. They are the saddest. Their lives are the most messed up. And yet we can't turn our attention away from them. We've got to know what are they doing? Who did they break up with? What did they eat for dinner? What clothes are they wearing? We've got to know this stuff because that's what we value, isn't it? That's what the world thinks matters. 
I was looking at some like world records, and some of them are pretty amazing. But some of them, I've got to be honest with you, they didn't seem that amazing to me. And in fact, I thought, man, some of these we could bust uh, at Triple C on a Sunday morning. We could take care of these. Like, did you know the world record for the number of pull-ups done with only hanging on by your pinkies is 36? And I'm just telling you right now, David Scott could do that right now. There's no question in my mind he could wear that record out immediately. The highest anybody's ever jumped on a pogo stick was 11.1 feet, and I'm pretty sure I've seen Andy Morgan go higher than that. I'm telling you, and his son Aaron. I've seen those dudes get up there. Now, the, the record for how many spoons a person can balance on their face was pretty good. It was 31. I mean, I think some of our middle schoolers would love to try to give that a run for its money, but that's, y'all, that's a lot of spoons on your face. I don't know what the point is, but it's a lot of spoons. And then this was the most ridiculous one that I saw. Apparently, apparently, the fastest anybody has ever eaten a full plate of pasta is 26.9 seconds. And I'm like, I'm like, they've never been around Tom Job. Look, I don't know how many of y'all have eaten pasta in Tom's presence, especially if Tina made it, but you blink and you miss it, man. They need to run that record back. My man would be holding that medal. I mean, these are the things that we value. And whether or not this was Solomon or that, that wrote Ecclesiastes or somebody's kind of collected his stuff and, and presenting this to us on his behalf, that dude way believed that the best, the most, the farthest, the first, that's what matters in this world. That dude inherited a kingdom, basically from the jump, it was a peaceful kingdom. It was, he was the second king over a united Israel where all the tribes were united together. David did all the fighting. He had to do a little cleanup at the end of, you know, like a, one of his like half brothers or something like that. It's a little messed up story. But then pretty much he's at peace and he's got all these, they're receiving tribute and taxes and stuff from all these surrounding like feudal lords and kingdoms. This dude, Solomon, his annual income, y'all, buckle up, 49,921.4 pounds of gold. That's his, his annual income was 25 tons of gold. That's what this, that was what he received in his paycheck. Okay, he built a temple for God in the city of Jerusalem. It was so big, so magnificent, so fancy, it took hundreds of people seven years to do it. I mean, all construction projects take longer than we think. You know, we all know this. If you ever contracted anybody to do something for you before, but no offense, Buster. I just, you guys do great work. Uh, I'm, we all know construction projects, but seven years is a long time to build something. Then he decided to go ahead and build his own house, his own palace. And that one was so big and so fancy, it took 13 years to build it. And he kept it humble. He called it the Palace of the Forest of Lebanon. I mean, he had the courtroom inside the house. This was unbelievable. You know, you might have heard that like Jerry Seinfeld has like 25 Porsches or something like that. Well, um, Solomon had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. He used to send these treasure ships out all over the world and they would bring him back gold and silver and ivory and spices and monkeys, like just monkeys all over the place. Peacocks, I don't remember those on the flannel graph in Sunday school, but monkeys, peacocks, mules, horses, all of it. Like he had this gigantic throne built out of carved ivory. And if that wasn't fancy enough, he said, dip the whole thing in gold. Just, 
just like, a, like an ice cream cone at Dairy Queen. Like this dude was over the top. And I'm going to invite him to tell us about it now. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Check it out. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. Yeah, yeah you did. And planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. Come on, man. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart, this dude. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Okay, here's where we're going to pull the e-brake and cut the wheel. Get ready. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. I told you guys last time, if you weren't here, this, this book, 38 times, it says the word meaningless. This is a Hebrew word that means vapor or smoke. And there's so much in our world that we pour our energy and our effort into that's like trying to grab smoke. Like you can't grab smoke and put it in your pocket and save some for later. That's not the way it works. 38 times the teacher surveys something and says, that right there, it's smoke. It's there for a minute and then it's gone. It's vapor. It's breath. It doesn't last. And he says that about all of his achievements and all of his amazing stuff that he, that he put his toil and his effort and his skill into. He says, it was vapor. It was smoke. Nothing was gained. It was a gigantic nothing burger. That's what that was. He goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 18, he said, so I hated all of the things that I toiled for under the sun because I must give them to somebody that comes after me. And who's to say whether that person will be wise or foolish? Yet they will have control over all of the fruit of all my toil, which I have, you know, toiled for under the sun. He said, this too was smoke, meaningless, vapor, vanity. He says over in uh, chapter 5, Verse 10, he says, whoever loves money never has enough of it. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This is meaningless. It's smoke. It's ridiculous. He looks around and he's like, I'm, I was like the smartest guy ever. I was the richest guy ever. I had more stuff, more all of it. Whatever I wanted, I did. And, I, and it didn't work. And the question for anybody is, why didn't it work? This is what we all wanted. We want to be rich and famous and, and pretty and desired and have all the stuff. And yet it didn't. Why didn't it work? And it didn't work, he says, because it's smoke, because it's vapor, because it's breath, because it doesn't last. I poured my heart into all this stuff and then it's just gone or somebody else gets it. And what if they screw the whole thing up? 
And the more you get, the more you want, and you, you're, it's unending, unsatisfying. It just doesn't work. There's a really interesting thing about the book of Ecclesiastes that I really love, and that is that it presents you with confounding problems like frayed edges and never really sews them up. Ask some questions that don't really get answered, just kind of leaves it out there. It's kind of like a puzzle with a piece that's missing. It's like a, it's like a blurry image that you can't quite get into focus. You need something to make it all work. And I think, the Lord, I think it was so cool that the Lord just let this book be in there, in the scriptures, without the ending all buttoned up, without everything with a bow on it. Just leave it there because someone was coming to bring the picture in focus. Something was going to happen so that that last little piece could get filled in. There's a place in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where he says, I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. You're like, that's a sweet poetic verse. It's a sweet poetic thought. God has made everything beautiful in its time. And in fact, time is a big theme in this book. Over and over again, this, the teacher is telling us about time. Actually, chapter three starts out with this kind of juxtaposition of, of extremes, seven of them in a row in a poem. It's in that song from the 60s by the birds. You guys remember this? To everything, turn, turn, turn. So, some of us that are older than y'all will know the song. But it's probably one of the most famous parts of scripture because of this song by the birds. But there's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's, there's a time for gathering and a time for scattering. There's a time for peace and there's a time for war. Everything has its time. And he goes on there in verse 10 to say, I have seen the burden that God has put on the human race, that everything is beautiful in its time. What does that mean? It means that things do matter and they are cool and they are enjoyable and they can bring pleasure and all that stuff in their time. The problem with them is they don't stick around. They don't last forever. They just have their time. There is nothing, and I can say this with confidence here at the end of July, there is nothing better on a hot, humid day in the state of Tennessee in the middle of July than a big old piece of cool watermelon. Just nothing better. I can't, I defy you to come up with anything better than that. But you let a watermelon go too long, that bad boy turns. You don't want to be anywhere near it. It's beautiful in its time. So with all the things that we do, that we learn how to do, think for a second and, and look and don't answer out loud, but just think in your head and, and don't be humble about it either, okay? Be for real. Think about something that you are like really good at. Like, and not just because you were born that way, but like you poured your energy and your skill into it. And I don't even care if it's, you know, fly fishing or Sudoku or, you know, hip hop trivia or pastry baking, whatever it is. But you put in the time and the skill and the effort and you became really good at that thing. Why? Because you loved it. Because it gives you pleasure. Because it tells you something about who you are uniquely as you. And yet, you won't always have that thing. You won't always do that thing. People that break the records and win the awards, somebody else will break that record. The, our bodies change. We can't do those things anymore. I know some of you guys remember watching Muhammad Ali light the torch, the Olympic torch. 
And he, he was like overwhelmed with Parkinson's, I think it was. And it's just, his, his hands are shaking and you're like, I don't know if this is gonna happen. And it's so sad because there was nobody more beautiful in the boxing ring than Muhammad Ali. This man was an absolute physical marvel. But we all break down, don't we? I mean, I'm feeling it. Everything changes. Everything's beautiful in its time. And then when its time passes, it's gone, it's over. That is a burden, the teacher says. And then he says this, but God has set eternity in the human heart. This is very interesting. Everything in the world is beautiful in its time, but God snuck a secret into your heart. Psst, hey, there's more to you. You long for more. You want more. You're different than that record or that house or that car or that job or the, the letters that come after your name because the degree that you worked hard to get, which won't always be around, by the way. Think about it. Everything that's represented by your keychain is temporary. The car that, that, that maybe has a key on there, the house that has a key on there, the office that might have a key on there with your name on it with some letters, cute little letters at the end of it because you worked hard to get some degrees or whatever. All of those things are beautiful in their time. But God snuck a secret into your heart. It's like this whole book, this guy is saying, what really matters? I tried everything, it didn't work. That's because meaning is a function of time. This is gonna be weird, but stick with me. I'm not good at math, I'm just making up a calculation, okay? Hang with me, let's all ride this train together. I'm coming up with a math problem that says, you wanna know what something means? You tell me what the expiration date is. What really means something is what lasts. This guy is like, I did everything and my problem is it's all smoke. This is a burden, everything's beautiful in its time, but God has set eternity in my heart. So we have this puzzle with a piece missing. So when I was, uh, when I was growing up in the 90s, there was this pop, this like pop punk band that I really liked, kind of alternative rock band um, called the Lemonheads. Some of you might know who the Lemonheads are. And they had, this really, um, they had this really great, kind of aggressive kind of punk song about, the, about the, the, where this guy was singing about falling in love with this girl. And in the middle of this grungy, aggressive punk song, this guy has the most beautiful poetic line. You ready for this? He says, she's the puzzle piece behind the couch that made the sky complete. I mean, punk rock, you may not like it, but that's a beautiful line. You gotta deal with that, okay? So like, you know, you've done a puzzle and you've got every piece but that one little missing piece and you're wondering if the dog ate it, you're wondering if somebody threw it away, and then a couple weeks later you're cleaning up behind the couch and there it is, there's the piece. And you go over to the puzzle and put it in, and now you can see everything. That's the whole picture. The Lord left Ecclesiastes in here unfinished, like a blurry black and white picture. And then we keep reading, and we meet Jesus, and he's the puzzle piece behind the couch that made the sky complete. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus, check this out, before the beginning of time. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has defeated death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's the puzzle piece behind the couch that makes the sky complete. 
Everything's beautiful in its time, but it doesn't last. So it doesn't matter what you pour your effort and your skill and everything. You're not going to get to take it with you. But he's set eternity in the human heart. And what is this about? And then Jesus shows up and this grace was given to us before time began. Not a function of time. He defeated death. He has died for us. He's taken our sin on himself so that we can be what? Immortal, eternal life with him forever. The problem with all of our achievement and all of our stuff and all the riches and all the best and the most and the furthest and whatever is none of it lasts. We can't keep any of it. But you know what lasts? You last. You know what else lasts? Look around you. We last. You know what lasts? Jesus lasts. It's why Paul, over in Philippians chapter 3, sounds a lot like the teacher a little bit. He's like, man, as far as our religion was concerned, I was the best. I was a Pharisee, the best. As far as zeal for following God, he said, I went the furthest. I persecuted the church. Yeah, you did. As far as as far as like righteousness based on following the rules, he actually said, I was perfect. You're like, dang, dude. I was the best. I went the farthest. I was perfect. And he said, but all of it I consider loss compared to, the, to what it feels like, the, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, I consider all of that garbage, which by the way, that's a terrible translation of the word that Paul wrote. The only way that you could use the word garbage there is if you were thinking about the fact that sometimes you take your dog on a walk and your dog stops to do its business and it's that kind where you have to pick it up in a bag. It's that stuff that's in the bag. And you're looking for a garbage can. That's the, I mean, at that point it is garbage, but it's the stuff that's in the bag. That's the word that Paul wrote. As offensive and as forceful as that could be because he wants to rattle your cage. Everything I worked for, everything I valued, all the stuff that I thought was going to make me, me. It's garbage. It's that stuff in the bag. He said, because all I want to know is that I, I consider it garbage. All I want to do is to gain Christ and to be found in him. Paul understands something, that Jesus has made a way for us to live forever, y'all. That's a big moment for an amen right there. We actually last. And not only do we last, we last with him and we last with each other. The only thing in this world, in this room, that you're going to take with you into forever are the relationships in this room. That's why Paul talked the way he did. That's why he said in Romans 12, be devoted to one another in love. Learn how to bear each other's burdens. Learn how to forgive each other. Learn how to put up with each other. Learn how to love each other. That's why Peter said, love one another fervently from the heart because relationships with these people who love Jesus with you, that's what you're going to have forever and ever. What if the teacher had known all that and at the end of chapter two, he had said, I did all this stuff. I bought all these things and I made all these things and I created all these things, but I realized you can make something, but you can't make it last. You can get something, but you can't get it to last. And then I found out that actually we're eternal and my relationships are eternal and Jesus is eternal. And so I poured all of my effort and all of my skill and all of my wisdom into being a really good friend and a really good follower of Jesus. 
I devoted all of my energy and my wisdom into being a follower of Jesus and a friend to the people in my life. We don't need more legends. We need listeners. We don't need phenoms. We need friends and fathers and mothers. We need each other. And we need to become really, really good at that. One time a guy said to Jesus, by the way, the most skillful life ever lived in the history of the world was Jesus. One time a guy said to Jesus, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Didn't even own a home. Just at the mercy, sleeping somewhere at the mercy of somebody else. Homeless. One time, in order to pay his taxes, he had to get a fish to, follow a, to swallow a coin and then told one of his boys to go fishing and then told the fish, grab the thing. And I mean, that's how he had to pay taxes. Do you ever notice that when they crucified Jesus, the soldiers divided up his clothes? They cast lots. They rolled dice for his clothes. But nobody divided up the money in his wallet. He didn't have any. Because he, knows, he, knew, he knew it didn't matter. You know what he had? He had hundreds and thousands of people, hearts that he had won, people that he was very good at loving and listening to. What if we poured our energy and our effort and our toil and our skill into the relationships that are going to matter forever and ever? None of this stuff lasts. And some of it's fun and it's cool and you should enjoy it. It's beautiful in its time. But the thing that's going to last is you are going to last. And we are going to last. And he is going to last. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for, um, thank you for the fact that you have made a way. This grace was given to us for free. You have made a way for us to taste immortality, to have immortal relationships. I pray that our, our never-ending hearts would be growing, that our ever-deepening compassion for each other would be swelling, that our everlasting selves would continue to grow in what it means to follow you and to love you and to love each other like crazy. We're grateful for the immortality that you've brought into the world. Help us to get good at it. We love you. It's in your, in your name we pray. Amen. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me fly, let me fly While the near waters roll While the tent is still as high Hide me, oh my Savior, hide Till the storm of life is past Safe into the haven, God Oh, receive my soul at last Other refuge have I not My helpless soul on me Leave out, leave me not alone Still 
feel so poor Comfort me Let me fly. 